my city, where the wheels of the global economy never stop turning. A concrete metropolis of unparalleled strength and purpose that drives the business world. Detroit is a tough place. If you're not careful, it can chew you up and spit you out. But if you work hard, you can really hit it big. And I mean really big. My name is M.L. Elric, and I'm the third largest podcast in Detroit. But it wasn't always so easy. About 13 years ago, I was seriously in trouble. You asked in a rag, you're trying to get out of my face. It's gone. What are you doing? What are you doing? That is not paid for by them. That is paid for by the people of Detroit. You might be qualified, ML. I'm not qualified for this job. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay? You want to go right now, Albert? 13 years ago, I was in big trouble. I'm in big trouble right now. Uh, you know, <laughs> things don't really change that much in my life. Uh, I want to apologize to my good friends for our late start today. I've been following the Detroit City Council meeting this morning to see whether any council members or whether Gabe Leland himself would say something about the criminal charges filed against him last Friday for misconduct in office. That was a free press exclusive. And it follows up on our reporting that this case, the bribery case against Gabe Leland may be resolved in state court. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're still following that story and expect to have something for you later today at freep.com, including a look at the filthy four the other four Detroit City Council members who have been charged with corruption in the last 15 years, Hmm. all of whom um, it did not end well. Three of them went to prison. One of them went to the grave. So uh, more on that coming up at the Free Press. Uh, We appreciate you waiting for our Facebook Live broadcast to start. For those of you who are not watching Facebook Live, you're getting the whole show. We appreciate you listening because that's the only way to get every single second of this show. That may be a bad thing. Uh, We (laughs) tend to think it's not so bad. If you're watching us on Facebook Live, we love you doing that too, but you're going to miss some great stuff on the back end of the show. So please take a listen when you get a chance. Uh, And now, they've been waiting patiently. Let me introduce my team, my group of future assistants. Actually, my, my current assistants, of course, there's Sean Windsor. You've been lazy. You've been nothing but trouble. And now you cut them off as they're fighting each other for who should be fired. Sean. Yes, sir. You're fired. Okay, so Sean's gone. That leaves us with uh, Matt Jennings. You know what, Matt? You're fired. I think that is so stupid for you to say, you're fired. Okay. Go. All right. Terrible. You shouldn't use that expression anymore either. You don't use that soft expression. How stupid can you be? Just get your 18 wheels rolling, pal. And then the guy (laughs) who keeps coming back, no matter how many reasons we give him not to come back, Mr. Mark Fellhauer. Mark, this is a sales task. You didn't sell a single thing. And again, in this boardroom, we've never had a team to lose so badly. You're all fired. All oh, four man, are fired. Good. Yeah, I don't need any of you guys. All I need is is this thermos. Maybe <laughs> maybe this remote control. Maybe none maybe like, this chair. Nothing like a man in charge. Well, we, we appreciate you guys sticking around for a, our special all Leland episode. We're going to be talking about the late Burton Leland, the father of Gabe Leland. 
He was a state senator before he was a county commissioner, before I caught up with him living where he wasn't supposed to be. We had some pretty crazy encounters. And then I'll talk to you a little bit about my, my uh, very, uh, very uh, tumultuous relationship with Mr. Gabe Leland, who at the moment is still a member of our Detroit City Council, sometimes called the Common Council. Some people would say they are uncommon in the number of people who ended up getting charged with crimes, but uh, we'll leave that to your good judgment. And we are brought to you this week by Manscaped, manscaped.com. It is the personal shaver that they pitch it for men, but it's not just for men, it's for ladies, both as users and as partners of men. So if you use the promo code ML at manscaped.com, you can get 20% and free shipping off your own personal uh, grooming device. They also have some other products there that uh, seem pretty nice. Um, we have gotten some very good reviews from members of our show who use the manscaping thing. We don't want to tell you who they are because we really, we want to keep their privates private. And, uh, it's an image that we, I use we it. Just don't. Okay. Well, there goes I our no, ratings. So, I, have no, I have no problem mentioning it. Okay. Well, uh, he of the well-shorn sack. <laughs> it takes a full 90 minutes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Now everybody's, everybody seems to be quite well-groomed. Anyway, this is a potential long-term sponsor for our show, but they're only going to be with us if you contact them, make a purchase. Can't doesn't have to be big, doesn't have to be small. It just has to be a purchase. Use the promo code ML. And, and I should tell you that all of our sponsors kind of work on the same basis. They like the show. We like them. But if they don't know that you were sent there, by ML Soul of Detroit. They will be gone too. And guess what follows next? What? It's us. Oh. It's just like when people say kill all the bugs. Well then then the birds die. And then the people who eat Good. birds die. And then the people who shoot birds for marching past their mansion in St. Louis. Well they probably will live forever. But we'll get to that later on in the show. I'm I'm getting once again too far ahead of myself. It may be because I'm so well fed by our friends at the Butchery. Wow, what a smooth, our, smooth Our segue. Facebook Live sponsors. Uh, they produce such quality meat that you do not have to be a top-notch chef like Sean Windsor to get good eats out of whatever you pick up at their meat counter. I go there because they have the best quality USDA prime and all grass-fed beef and all their pork is 100% Michigan-raised. It's convenient. You can get your meat in any portion you want, anything from a single steak to half a cow. Everything Chef Dave puts out is made in-house, like their high-end sausage and brats, and even his wife's delicious homemade desserts, high in flavor, hopefully not high in calorie, but uh, try them. Try them and see. All this month for listeners, Chef Dave is giving a free pound of bacon to everyone who spends $50 or more. You just have to tell them that ML sent you. The butchery is on Orchard Lake Road. It's easy to find. Just take Telegraph to Orchard Lake and head west. I promise you it's worth the drive. I've made it, and I'm going back. Bravo. Call 248-682-COWS or visit their website, thebutcherysl.com. It's the best place for prime meats, eats, and treats. So uh, so a little late today because you were watching that thrilling, looks like a very thrilling Zoom meeting of Detroit City Council. <laughs> Look how exhausted you are already about it. Um, wow. Yeah. And I, th- I thought I saw on your tweet that Gabe Leland was, was there and doing his duty. Well, he was there. As one of my colleagues who was also watching pointed out, he looks pretty tuckered out. I don't know that he's had a, a lot of good sleep lately which um, I think in the past he used to sleep pretty well because I caught him spending the night at Gaspar Fiore's <laughs> mansion on Lakeshore Drive in Gross Point. So he's had better days. 
But if you saw the story we posted last Friday on the free, in the free press, it looks like Mr. Leland is getting ready to end his council career several years or at least a couple of years after I first exposed that he was doing some dealing, uh, approving contracts, voting for contracts uh, for. I'm just going to keep doing this every time I hear. Oh, sure. I thought, <laughs> Sean is literally, literally I thought you were showing people where you plan to use your manscaper on your shoulders. I just, I just wanted you to get a sense of how often that happens. So I'm going to keep going. Oh, uh, in case. In Good case, work, Sean. In case no one mentioned that those, I wrote those that story for the but but anyways, uh, his attorney made some comments that make it sound like he's getting ready to resign very soon, and so so we just want to see if city council is going to say anything about it. They historically have kept their mouth quiet when one of their colleagues gets in trouble, and whether he might resign today. But it looks like unless uh, unless you he says him. unless he says yeah. something before the end of the the meeting. He's just going to keep cashing our paychecks until he can't anymore, which is. Well, where do you want to start with him? Do you want to provide the background as to, um, you know, what he what he was charged with? And well, let's let's take uh, let's do this is your life, Leland family and Mm -hmm. start with Burton Leland, who uh, was a dynamo in uh, northwest Detroit. You know that Burton Leland was a. very constituent oriented when a Jewish white guy from Northwest Detroit keeps getting elected to the state Senate until term limit turns him out. Now for people who don't know that much about Detroit's history, there used to be a very robust Jewish community in the city of Detroit. And there are lots of places like some of the theaters by Wayne state, like the Northwest activity center in Northwest Detroit uh, appropriately that were Jewish institutions. They were synagogues that had been converted into theaters in some cases, churches, They were activity center, gyms, fitness uh, places, community hubs that were built and maintained by Detroit's Jewish community. Most of those folks have left for the suburbs, but Burton Leland remained and was elected time and time again as a state senator because while he was a pain in the balls, he was known as a guy who could get things done for the people of Northwest Detroit. Now, eventually, he hit term limits and had to move out of uh, the Senate, and he then turned to Wayne County Commission, which has no term limits, and continued to run for office and get elected as a Wayne County Commissioner, all of which is all fair and good and speaks well of both his appeal to the populace and his ability to serve his constituents. There's just one problem. Somewhere in the course of this story, which runs about 25 years, I mean, he moved East Lansing Mm -hmm. and basically lived in East Lansing and was occasionally caught in East Lansing doing his gardening and things like that. And I decided to do this story uh, for Fox 2 and ran out there and caught him doing his gardening. It was one of the most extraordinary encounters I've ever had because he did three, two, at least two, maybe three wardrobe changes (laughs) in the course of our encounter on his front lawn where he thought he looked bad because he had just finished working out. So we went inside and changed. Then he came out to take some questions because he was a tough guy. He didn't like the questions, so he went back inside. Then he changed again, and he came out and uh, took some more questions. He didn't like those, and so he went back inside. And then he came back out uh, through his garage, and I asked him a couple more questions. And he didn't like it. And then there was some video uh, of Leland closing the garage door on me as I'm still asking him some questions. So With Mike, he was, you had your microphone in hand, and you were sticking it uh 
down towards yeah. the bottom, right as it was closed. I remember that one well. He initially loved me because he hated Kwame Kilpatrick, and we were doing some stories on Kwame Kilpatrick. And he pulled me aside one time on Mackinac Island when we were up there for the the uh, leadership conference and said, you know, you got to stop doing all these stories on Kilpatrick. And I said, why? He's like, well, they're great, but you're pounding him so many times, people are starting to feel sorry for him. And I think that if you keep doing these stories, it's going to help him get reelected. To to which I said, you know, we don't do stories to help or hinder a candidate. We do as many stories as we believe are fair and true and people deserve to know. Burton Leland, being a very smart politician, realized that at some point, you know, this turns the other way. People start to say, now you're just picking on him. Yeah. So Burton was always locked in these tough races. And he had this thing where he'd always, you know, one way that white guys win democratic primaries in Detroit is they make sure there are lots of black candidates. So he was known for recruiting black candidates to run essentially against him, but really for him because uh, he wanted to split the black vote so he could win the democratic primary. And then there's never a Republican opponent to worry about. Wow. How diabolical. Yeah, so he was running for re-election when my story broke, and one of his former aides called me up and said, "Hey, I want to, I want to go on camera and, and basically tell everybody how Burton does not live in this this little uh, condo that he had, and that it was basically just a mail drop, which anyone could tell because it was just you know crap cascading out of the the mailbox." And he said, basically, the only reason he has that place is because to establish residency. And in fact, the cable bill is in my name because I started staying there. And then it basically became kind of a love nest where, where he and other people would go just to, to bang chicks and, and hang out. And so I said, well, you know, this is, this is powerful testimony from an insider. You know, when can we go on camera? And the guy, he kept putting me off. He kept putting me off. He kept putting me off. I said, we're getting close to the election. We can't put a devastating story like that on so close to the election. So, you know, it's either now or never. And the guy said, well, here's the reason why I won't go on camera. I don't have any teeth. What? Really? <laughs> he, he was ashamed they didn't have any teeth and he oh, was man. trying to get some teeth, but he couldn't get some teeth in time. And in the end, he said, look, my son plays football. He has a mouth guard. Maybe I can put the mouth guard in. And draw lines on it so it will look like teeth. <laughs> oh, no. My theory is that he was never going to go on camera. He was just using me to try and leverage some money uh, out of uh, Burton Leland. Basically oh, saying, wow. hey, I'm talking to Elric. If you don't give me some teeth money. Nice to know government and f- government officials are operating like that, even in their assistants. Even it rolls, yeah. rolls down to their assistants. Well, this guy was a former employee, so he may have been disgruntled too, but I was just like, what kind of crazy worms come up when you flood the garden? But so later on, I ran into Burton because he lived in East Lansing at a Michigan-Michigan State uh, mm-hmm. football game. He was at a tailgate that a buddy of mine threw and that a lot of politicos go to, and I usually stop by just to sort of tickle the wire and see what people know. Burton shows up, and he immediately wants to go at it with me because he was a real hard on. I mean, he was a very engaging, charming uh, guy, even though he was, you know, M- most politicians are. Yeah, and and he was one of those guys who, you know, liked to take the fight to people. That's why he was so effective in constituent services because I think people would rather help Burton and get him the hell out of their office than have him come back every day. And so I said to him, I said, hey, I'm not surprised to see you. It's a, it's a short walk from your house, you know, the one you live in, not the one that you claim. He's like, okay, let's not start that. So I just started going on. He's wearing a Michigan hat, a University of Michigan. I was like, 
I said, first of all, you represent Detroit, but you live in East Lansing. Then you come yeah. to a Michigan State tailgate, but you're wearing a Michigan hat. I'm like, what the hell? So he's like, okay, here we go. So we're going at it. It's, you know, we're doing the dozens. It's, it's, it's actually a lot of fun. We're both, I think, kind of enjoying it at yeah. some level. And, and a letter in his last reelection campaign had gone out accusing his opponent of breaking up the marriage of uh, a woman in the district, basically saying, don't vote for this harlot because she stole my man. And the woman who sent it out was not very sophisticated did not have very much money and it must have cost a lot of money to produce the letter and to mail it out. And so the theory was that Burton had paid for everything that he had just given her money to send out this letter to 86, his opponent. Um, He would not admit to it. The woman who sent the letter would not return my calls, but her son told me, yeah, my mom doesn't have the money to do that. We're sure that she got the money from Burton Leland to do this. And, uh, and in fact, the, her ex-husband started dating this other candidate after, um, after they'd gotten divorced. So the whole thing was kind of baloney. Yeah. Anyways, it was effective. Burton wins that race. And so when we're done jousting with each other, we kind of walk to the game. Then I run into him at one of the Porta Johns because Burton can never stop fighting. So he wants to restart the fight. Oh and I said, you know, now what about that letter you sent out? And he's like, no, no, I didn't do that. You can't prove that. I'm like, okay. I said, well, let's just go to the game. Let's just, let's just, you know, move on, shake hands, move on. And as we're parting, he says, that was some letter, wasn't it? So, oh, God. Well, that's kind of a sly politician, though. Yeah. So he was a rascal. He was kind of a, uh, a lovable rogue, I guess you'd say, if you don't really care about uh, the felony of providing a false affidavit and representing a district that uh, you don't represent. But anyway, um, Throughout do, do Gabe you, Leland's life. So do you, do you find Gabe Leland to have the same personality as his dad? No, no. Gabe is a, uh, a odd duck. Uh, most people who have dealt with him find him to be strange. Um, How so? He, he has trouble making eye contact. Um, he's one of these false intimacy guys where he'll kind of lean in on you and you're yeah. like, oh, I don't know about that. And he, uh, he's kind of like one of those elbow guys. So we did a story on city council secrets. And one of the secrets was that he had been selling dope when he was in high school Hmm. and he denied it. And um, he didn't deny that he had a possession case, but he denied selling it. Now, of course, Burton got involved and got him uh, a pretty light sentence by, you know, uh, intervening and trying to convince the police and prosecutors and everybody that he's not such a bad kid. So when we caught up with Gabe outside city hall, I asked him, I said, what about the second case? He said, there is no second case. And so I held up the police report and said, there is, what about this one? And, uh, and then things kind of went downhill. Not long after that, I saw him at pony ride in Detroit, which is kind of a pop-up interesting business incubator in Corktown. And they have a sort of a maker's fair every, every holiday season. And Gabe was there. And because he's so squirrely, he wanted to kind of nut up to me and show that he had nothing to worry about, that he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, he had nothing to hide. And Devin Skillian was there too. Right. Exactly. Well, we just shown that he had been hiding stuff. So Devin Skillian and I are there talking and Gabe kind of butts in and, uh, and is, you know, doing his little bebop. And then Devin's like, okay, I got to, you know, got to move on. And then Gabe's whole thing to me is like, hey, how are things going at Fox 2? I'm like, uh, okay, I guess like, 
really? I had heard things. I said, oh, what'd boy. you hear? He said, I don't know. I heard maybe things aren't going so well for you there. And I said, well, uh, if I'm out, let me know because I'll find <laughs> something else. He's like, I'm just saying, you know. Oh, what a so, dork. Years later, I guess I am gone from Fox 2, and I guess he's he was on right. out too. He was so, right. Yeah. Hey, so. I, wanted, I want to go back to, to something you said, because when you confronted him the second time and you said, hey, I, I here it is. And I remember when we had uh, Walt check in, and he was talking about early on in his career when he wasn't that prepared. Um, has that ever happened where someone's like, no, and you didn't have the item in front of you? Uh, well, one time um, I went to go get somebody at City Hall. The city was trying to get people to pay their overdue parking fees. And this was a Kilpatrick administration initiative to try and raise money for the city. It was kind of an amnesty program. And I had found that there were all kinds of people in the Kilpatrick administration. There's your Kilpatrick reference, Sean. I know you're waiting for it. <laughs> and so, Sean, he's uh, on the precipice of admitting he, did, he didn't do something perfectly, too. That's right. So, um, so I found that all kinds of people in his administration owed tons of parking tickets, including uh, his girlfriend, Christine Beatty, including the head of the parking department, including the spokesman for the Pay Back Your Tickets campaign. <laughs> And, and, and I was waiting for somebody to come out of City Hall to confront them on this. And uh, the mayor's spokesman came out and he said, um, he said, uh, his name's James Canning, mm -hmm. a completely unprincipled uh, bag of stuff. Anyways, <laughs> he, he says, hey, who are you here for? And he was kind of laughing, you know, like, yeah, this is funny. You know, you're out here. You didn't get your guy, but you're, somebody's in trouble. And oh, I said, yeah. well, James, today we're here for you. Oh. And I wasn't ready for him, but so we just did an interview and, and we, we took the opportunity and, you know, and he stammered his way through it. It was a disaster. Then later on, I, I went to catch up with the deputy mayor who had a ton of tickets and I went to go pull my paperwork, but I wasn't, you know, it was one of these things where I had a ton of paperwork. I said, well, that's not what it says here. And I'm like, oh, hold on, wait a minute. Let me, hold on a second. I know it's in here somewhere. And that's when I learned that you got to stack your documents and you got to put little tabs on them. And that's it was tough. And he stood there and he's like, okay, all right then. And in the end he said, yeah, those are my kids' tickets. I paid all those. Oh, God. Well, that's still, it's still his problem because he had had, you know, tens yeah. of thousands of tickets before that. So it, that also ran in the family. But, yeah, it was embarrassing and it was terrible TV to sit there and say, well, wait a minute. I, I got you in here somewhere just if you wouldn't mind standing here while I yeah, plus get it, ready yeah. to jump on you again. It gives them time to think of an excuse as to, okay, where's he going with this? What am I going to say if you're not tabbed and ready to show him the evidence? Right, and he was a pretty smooth customer. Mm -hmm. So he was, he was not only ready, but when I gave it to him, he's like, yeah, I paid all those. <laughs> and I don't think he had. But he basically figured prove him wrong. Yeah. This, this jerk's not ready. You know, yeah. I'll just tell him that, and I'll go into building. And what's he left with? Well, it doesn't so. happen often with you. I'll tell you that much. Now, Channel Four would not run this story because this was in the Kilpatrick had gotten to them era. But I did exact uh, unintentionally a level of revenge on them because when they found out that I was doing this story, they went and paid back every parking ticket they had on a station vehicle. So, uh, <laughs> so they, they ended up, they ended up paying for the story one way or another. Well, uh, do you want to go deeper into what you just said there about that, that era? Uh, the channel four era. Well, yeah. I mean, that was, that was when they hired me from the free press because the free press didn't want me to cover Kwame Kilpatrick anymore. They wanted me to basically move to state po political coverage. And then, Channel 4 said they absolutely wanted me to cover Kwame Kilpatrick, and so that's the only reason I went over there. 
they contacted but Jim they- and I, and they said, you know, would you guys be interested in coming over here? Uh, Jim and I did one of the most hilarious screen tests probably in television <laughs> news history, a copy of which I think Jim still has on VHS somewhere. Oh, we got to see and, that. Yeah. Oh, it's, 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 it's amazing. And then in the end, um, in the end, I just ended up going over there because they put Jim on the investigative reporting team, which was the right call. I mean, he's a great reporter and has mm-hmm. done a great job there. And, uh, and they didn't have room for me. And so they wanted to, you know, basically have me do something else. And, uh, if there's anything people in this town know about me over the last 20 years is I'm willing to do just about anything, but if, if we disagree about what I should do, then I'll go find someplace else to do what I do. And, uh, and so I went to channel four now within a few months of being there, um, we did a story where we pounded the mayor and his team on their false credentials. And, uh, the mayor didn't like that. So we called the, sent a bunch of people over to channel four to basically back them down. They succeeded. No one told me that we were no longer going to do any serious reporting about Kwame Kilpatrick. And I was left to twist in the wind for the next year or so wondering, why? Why would they the back? Why would they back down from that? What would he possibly have over them? I mean, how much? What denied access to him? Um, so this was never explained to me in the same way that was never explained to me that hey, that thing we hired you to do, we don't want you to do anymore. Yeah. But um, but uh, he he caused them a lot of trouble. So maybe it just wasn't worth it. You know, a lot of stations would pound on nobodies because nobodies never fight back. They just can't afford to, or they rarely do. So maybe they thought, yeah, every one of these stories is going to take too much of us time. Let's move on. Uh, some oh, people I- have speculated it's because the city of Detroit um, is a key partner in the auto show and the Thanksgiving parade, both of which uh, were exclusive to mm-hmm. Channel 4 at that time. And so some people have speculated that they didn't want to jeopardize those two that's embarrassing. franchises. That's embarrassing. But, I would think I, uh, he would need that station more than they needed him. Well, that's always the case. But I obviously, mean, I have hindsight to back up. <laughs> my well, no, but I mean, it. there's lots of politicians who say they're going to cut the media off, and in the end, it's they need them. The media is still here. Yeah. So. But, but what did um, they tell you, Mike? They, they never did. That was one of the things that was so frustrating. And uh, I, I, it may just be that the Ratings. general manager wanted to play play footsie with, uh, with the mayor. The general manager was fairly new to town um, and thought that, you know, the mayor's a cool dude and maybe it's better to be the mayor's friend than to be the mayor's enemy because – you know, Sean, you and I have worked in a lot of towns and, and for a lot of papers. And would you say there's another there's another city where you've been where the media in particular, someplace like the Detroit Free Press or like a reporter like Steve Wilson on TV has basically said, I am going to stand against all the bullshit in City Hall and I don't care what anybody thinks. I mean, I've been out of the towns where uh, there are reporters like that. I, I, I like to think there are reporters like that in most towns, don't you? That's been my experience. I mean, I, okay. It wasn't like that for you in Chicago? I don't know that any place I've worked has had the, um, what I would say, sort of an adversarial relationship with administrations that we see here in, in Detroit at times. Maybe, maybe in television in particular. You, I, I would say the other thing, and I don't, I don't want to speak for Channel 4, this was before the, the Kilpatrick stuff really, really blew up, right? Because you went to Channel 4 and then you came back, and that's when yeah. it really got bigger, and then you went to Fox. 
I really, and I don't know if it was a ratings thing for them, but I know from us, I remember uh, at the Free Press, there was this idea back then that because a lot of the readers were in the suburbs, right? So let's just be real about what we're talking about. White readers, largely black city. And there was some thinking back then that a lot of those readers just didn't care, right? So when you were trying to get on the investigative team and cover the city, I mean, let's be honest about what was really happening. It wasn't because the free press was trying to protect Kilpatrick in any way. It was everything to do with what a reader is going to want to read about and trying to figure that out. And it was, um, yeah, we, we think about it very differently. We've evolved, fortunately, and come a long way. Well, we also didn't have the, the metrics like we we do now. But let's talk about what, what some of that really was about. Well, actually, at that time, the Kilpatrick stuff was pretty hot because we had done the Navigator, we had done the credit cards, we'd done the friends and family. I mean, there were a lot of stories that pretty much uh, put him at death's door when it came time for re-election. What happened at the Free Press was they just felt like he had a brush with death. And uh, like a lot of guys who get out of the drunken drunken uh, driving wrecks say, I'll never drink again. They were sorely mistaken, but they also wanted to enhance their political coverage. And there was a feeling, I think at that time, that um, that there were more readers in the suburbs and that we need to shift our reporting to, ref- to go where the readers are. Now, the, the mistake in that logic, which has always been the mistake. I agree it was a mistake. Yeah. yeah, is that even when the Detroit Pistons were in Auburn Hills, mm-hmm. they were still the Detroit Pistons. And we still care about things in Detroit. I don't know that anybody cares about the Auburn Hills anything. So, you know, we all associate with Detroit. Detroit is the hub of the wheel. You you care about what's going on in bars and restaurants in Detroit because you might go to them. You yeah. don't really care about what's going on in bars and restaurants in White Lake Township because most of us don't know where it is and we ain't going to go there. No disrespect to White Lake Township. To that point, ML, what kind of uh, feedback have you gotten regarding Gabe Leland in, in the misconduct? Because, you know, he is a city council member of Detroit of one specific district, but what he did is, is pretty egregious. Yeah, so just to to get people caught up, what he's accused of doing is uh, the feds indicted him, a federal grand jury indicted him on bribery counts for demanding payment, allegedly demanding payment from Bob Carmack, who's a a fairly well-known Detroit businessman now, sort of a a gadfly scoundrel type. um, If anything, he picked the wrong man to, uh, to get a bribe from. Right. And and Carmack was pissed off at the time. So he went to the feds and said, went to the FBI, which he knew because the FBI had been talking to him about some other things he knew. And and he said, this guy's demanding money from me. You know, you want me to do anything about it? They wired him up. They gave him some government money. He handed it to, he says he handed it to one of Leland's aides, who then said she handed it back to Leland. The feds say they have electronic evidence, either wiretaps or video of Leland telling Carmack, yeah, I got the money. Uh, you're lucky I didn't ask you for 30, but I like you. And and he was charged with bribery counts. Now, at some point, I think the feds started getting worried about old Bob Carmack, who's been in all kinds of trouble, mm-hmm. and him being the linchpin witness on this. And so plea negotiations started, and uh, this has been headed towards state court where the presumption is Leland will get an easier landing. And now that he's been charged with misconduct in office, that's certainly less severe than a federal bribery charge. The maximum sentence is five years as opposed to bribery, which is 10 years. 
And my guess is he's going to plead guilty. His lawyer has made some comments to the effect that they're going to resolve this in state court. <laughs> he's going to plead guilty. He's going to have to resign from office, and he's probably not going to do any time. So, uh, Slap so on the he'll, wrist. he'll walk away from the car crash, but he'll have no career. Uh, and he didn't really have much of a career outside of politics. Yeah. His old man uh, fostered his, his career in politics. He also ran for a, for a state house from the district uh, that his family had lived in, served his six years. After that, he, he found a job working as like a community liaison for the DMC, which some people have speculated <laughs> was uh, oh, a favor that Mike Duggan yeah. had done to, to keep him from starving. What does a city council member make? Well, I, I think some of the cutbacks that they suffered under the bankruptcy um, put their salary, and they've gotten raises a couple times since, have put their salary somewhere around $90,000 a year. They also get free use of a very nice loaded mm-hmm. uh, Ford um, Explorer. They don't have to pay auto insurance, which in Detroit cool. saves you thousands of dollars a year. They don't have to pay gas. That saves a lot yeah. of money too. And I suspect they don't pick up many tabs when they go out for meals. Yeah, a lot of, they lot also of have perks. a lot of recesses, which they all tell me they work like hell over those recesses, but there's yeah, an right. awful lot of them. And, uh, and other than some committee work and constituent work, they go to work one day a week on Tuesday to, uh, <laughs> to vote on stuff. Oh, God. What does a state house uh, rep make? Somewhere between fifty-five dollars and $75,000. They also Jeez. get $10,000 in expenses. And, uh, and they can get mileage uh, for going to work, which we also did a story at Fox 2 where Betty Cook Scott stopped going yeah. to work but kept taking her expense money and her mileage money, which was uh-huh. classic. Out of those two gigs, though, it seems like being a Detroit City Council member is more lucrative. Um, I think there's a larger salary. You have more money to hire a staff because you have a certain allotment of money where you can hire uh, several people to help you fulfill your your duties to the public. But, but one of the things about, um, about being on Detroit city council, as opposed to being a state lawmaker, is there's a more accountability. You know, people see you, they expect to see you, they expect you to return their calls. They expect you to do things that will help you. Whereas with a state rep, there's a lot more of them. Nobody knows who the hell they are. You never see them in action because they're in Lansing. And if you ask them to do something for you, you can always say, well, I'm a Democrat, Republicans control everything. So I couldn't do it, but I tried, you know, it's, in, in, in a lot of ways, it's an easier job than being a Detroit City Council person. But, um, so, but besi- to me, if you want to do these jobs, whatever they're paying you, you know that going in. Do the damn job. Besides this, Don't fel- line your pockets. Besides the felony that uh, Gabe is charged with now, um, what other ethical problems has he had in the past for those that don't know? Yeah, so uh, – and this is funny. When you, when you put this on a timeline and you look back, at about the same time Bob Carmack says – he was being shaken down by Gabe Leland. I was asking Gabe Leland about some contracts that he had voted for that benefited his girlfriend at the time, Jennifer Fiore, the daughter of Gaspar Fiore, the towing king who spent some time in prison himself. And uh, I believe we have a classic cut from one of those Fox 2 stories. Leland is no stranger to the Fiore family's opulent Gross Point Shores home on exclusive Lakeshore Drive. Um. At this time, I'm not going to dive into you know my, my personal affairs. What I can say, I mean, this is this is your car at Gasper Freeway's house on a Saturday morning at sunrise. I mean, 
this is not speculation. If, if, if you're that close to this family, you know, should you be voting on contracts that involve them? This is a rumor mill town, and that's that's your car, right? I'm not, I mean, I'm that's not gonna deny that. Since Leland's well, then it's not a rumor. I don't know why he thought he could get away with that, but it's not inherently illegal what he was doing, right? Well, it would be very unseemly for a city council member to be spending the night in the mansion of a city contractor, but is it, it illegal? technically would not be illegal nor against uh, – now, it may oh, be illegal under a federal law where you have, uh, you have the uh, obligation of just services to the public. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think no one's going to charge him with that. But, you know, we had some video of, of Gabe and his girlfriend walking down Lakeshore Drive, and then I found – his city Aww. car parked in the driveway at, at, at Gasper Fiore's mansion. And, and we do spend a lot of time doing surveillance and we do spend a lot of time staking people out. But the way we got both of those, those clips was serendipity. I had talked to my partner at the time at Fox two about camping out in front of the house, which is going to be very tricky because it's on a very high traffic, high profile street. It's right. You know, there's, there's the mansion and then there's Lake St. Clair mm -hmm. and the side streets, you know, the cops brush reporters off like flies when they're there because in wealthy communities, they don't like you sitting in front of houses if you're not driving a Bentley. But I happened to be driving back from, from something with my family and saw <laughs> Jennifer and Gabe walking down the street <laughs> and I was driving, they're walking close to the house and I'm doing a turnaround and, Everybody in the, in the car said, what are you doing? What are you doing? What's happening? I said, shut up. Don't say anything. I'll explain to you later. Like, no, what are you doing? Tell me why you're doing it. I was like, just be quiet. I, I, I don't want you on the, on the audio, on the video. And, and somehow we jumped out. My wife started driving. And then I was able to shoot some of that video from the front seat of the car. So now that I know he's hanging out there, I live on the east side. That's on the east side. I drive by there on a regular basis just to spot check it. But I, I was coming back from dropping my daughter off from taking the SAT and I happened to drive by the house and I saw the city councilman's car in the driveway. I said, I got to get a picture of that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so some of this incriminating evidence, we had a lot of uh, plans to try and get it, but in the end it was just being out and about and keeping your eyes open and trying to keep everybody in the car from making too much of a ruckus. So $2 million worth, he voted on contracts for, for his girlfriend's yes. company. Well, for, wow. for companies run by his girlfriend. Uh, but he didn't want to talk about that. He didn't want to talk about uh, the relationship. He didn't want to talk about any of that stuff. We sat with him in his office for about half an hour, maybe 45 minutes. And it got to a point where it's like, you know what, dude, we're just going around and round. So I gave him one more opportunity to own up to it. Are you dating Gasper for your daughter? <laughs> yes or no? Have you spent the night at his house? Yes or no? Have you vacationed with them? Yes or no? The city charter says public officials must disclose financial interests and contracts if an immediate family member is involved. As you can see in these Facebook photos, oh, Leland and Jennifer Fiore sure seem to spend an awful lot of time with each other's family. Are they still together? No, they huh. have uh, they've oh, gone man. their own ways. You, you, uh, you ruined them. No, they had broken up before this. I Why was do you told. hate love? Exactly. Uh, yeah. love, love is love, man. What's, what's the matter with you? Spying <laughs> on... Spying on innocent lovers like that. Like, <laughs> yeah, what the right. Perhaps on, if man. if if someone loved me, I wouldn't feel so left out. <laughs> Driving around the city, they go, "Oh, look, there are a couple of people holding hands over there. I'm going to stop and take some pictures." 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, man. It's well, crazy. One last clip you sent over, uh, I guess, really illustrates um, what you were talking about earlier with Gabe and how he's um, kind of tries to buddy up on you. Yeah, he tries to play things off. Now, by this point, Gabe doesn't want to meet with us anytime because you can see when we meet him on the street, it doesn't go so well. And when we meet him in his office, it doesn't go so well. So as people, I hope, know, I call people to sit down and talk like adults before I decide I have to go get him. And on this particular day, we called and he wouldn't meet with us. And so then we had to stay outside City Hall. It happened to be a freezing, sleeting day. And we sat outside City Hall all day waiting for him. And instead of hiding in the bushes, which we generally don't do, we just stood out there because we're like, everybody knows we're out here. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows we're out here for him. So what's the big deal? We'll just be here until he comes out. We stood out there for so long that at some point, Mayor Duggan pulled up to the parking lot at City Hall, said, what are you guys here for? And I said, well, we're waiting for a certain public official. He's like, well, you're not waiting for me, are you? And I said, no, if, we're, if we have something to talk to you about, we'll call first. He said, okay, well, call me anytime because I don't want to meet you out here. And then he drove <laughs> back in through the gate and parked his car and went about his business. Well, finally, we're freezing our ass off. And my partner, John Brzezewski, is Good you know guy, a yeah. dream partner because- when you're sitting there feeling like you've made somebody stay out in miserable conditions too long, because here's how this works. I don't get stories. I'm out of a job. Photographer doesn't get a story with an investigative reporter. They get reassigned to work with another reporter. So the stakes are always higher for me. So I'm always willing to stay there and beyond the point of sense and reason. But I also try and respect, you know, my, my partner. And so I, I typically turn to John and say, John, I don't know if we're going to get him today. Do you want to, go home, warm up and start tomorrow. And he would say, I'm good for another hour. Mm. And it would turn into two hours. So we're standing out there in the freezing rain. I got Red Wings tickets that night, by the way. (laughs) Everybody by now has left the parking lot. And so we're thinking either he snuck out another entrance. Alberta Tinsley Talabi did that to me one time when I was working at Channel 4 um, and got a ride on the other side of the building and went home. Of course, I got her the next day in front of her house. So, you know, that's even worse. Run, but you you can't hide. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and so I said to John, I said, I think either he's left or he's trying to outweigh us. So I said, what we can do is just change up the dynamic. So we made a very public show of getting in our van and driving away, but we only drove around the block (laughs) to get a different vantage point. <laughs> and as soon as we parked on the other side of the parking lot, Gabe and his assistant come walking out. Councilman, will you talk to us about Robert Carmack? Bring the midnight oil with me. Well, did you, you know, whatever here's it takes a, to get some answers, did you extort here's Robert a, here's Carmack? A, here's a flyer. Uh, I got a lot of activities going on in the district. You can take a look at that. Are some of those activities shaking down contractors <laughs> for money? <laughs> Gabe Leland won't wow, talk about his dick. deals. With- I'm just amazed that he thought he could get get away with this and once again i think he picked the wrong guy with bob carmack uh he got carmack on the wrong day at the time that he was trying yeah. to allegedly shake down carmack carmack's father was dying or had just mm-hmm. died that pissed him and off. uh and carmack is involved in politics one of the reasons why you know carmack is somebody we listen to is because carmack's been an insider and he's been a guy who's been a backroom player for a long time so when he tells you something dirty is going on there's a good chance it's true there may be a good chance he was involved in it, but uh, the bottom line is he knows his way around. So 
So we tend to uh, we tend to give people some credence, and and he's been able to back up what he said in the case of of Gabe Lee, and he certainly convinced the feds. And now it looks like this case is going to resolve soon. But you know, when you say that it's surprising that people think they can get away with this, consider what happened to Gabe Leland. He was indicted uh, almost two years ago, and city council has taken no action whatsoever to limit his power. He's one of their own to criticize him. And the ethics board in Detroit, the ethics commission, has done nothing to raise a question about this, or to even just say, first of all. No one said anything when we when we exposed the votes that favored his girlfriend's companies. Yeah. Nobody. Before we wrap on him, uh, you alluded to four other bribery, uh, recent bribery scandals within uh, the Detroit City Council. Where does this rank with that, in your opinion? Uh, I would say it's probably um, uh, near the bottom because we have a council member who extorted, uh, allegedly, because she died before she got her day in court, $150,000 in cash and loans and Wait, 17 pounds of sausage. I was going to say, yeah, the 17 pounds of sausage is the one that, that seems to stand out, but there's a lot more money. What, what, yeah. what was her name? Is it Kay? Um, uh, Kay Everett, Kay the Everett. Mad Hatter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then you had Lonnie Bates, who um, was uh, a no-show city employee and a disaster as a school board member. So what happens? He gets elected to city council. <laughs> And then he has handymen do work at his house um, and then then tries to divert city money to them. And then he puts his mistress and her daughter on the city payroll without requiring them to I do any that. work, which yeah. was a story Scott Lewis exposed at Fox story. 2, which was tremendous. Yeah, um, He eventually was, was convicted. And uh, then you have um, Monica Conyers, of course, yeah. who was a uh, rock star crook. And finally, Charles Pugh, who yep. succeeded her as city council president, who stopped going to work, had all kinds of campaign finance matters, and eventually was essentially fired by the emergency manager for refusing to come to work. And then uh, later was charged with you know, inappropriate liaisons with uh, underage people, yeah. pleaded oh, yeah. guilty, and is now doing up to 15 years in state prison. So taken $15,000 from a city contractor, which of course he won't admit to. He'll just admit to the generic charge mm-hmm. of misconduct in office. Probably makes him, uh, he's fifth place in our, in our quintet of uh, city council members who have let us down. When Barb McQuaid, the former U.S. attorney, said that she hoped that the, the, the prosecution of Kwame Kilpatrick would end the culture of corruption in Metro Detroit, that was at best a wish. I won't change my mind on anything, regardless of the facts that are set out before me. I'm dug in, and I'll never change. It's time for our great debate, but if you're trying to figure out who should sell your house, there is no debate. First round knockout. It's Lindsay Broadwell. She is the real estate uh, expert sponsor of ML Soul of Detroit. <laughs> Your house is one of your most valuable investments, and that's why you need an agent you can trust and who knows the business inside and out. Lindsay started her career at Hall Financial. Now she's an expert in real estate. She'll make sure you get the most out of your house, and everything goes smoothly by finding your home that fits your lifestyle. Buyers, sellers, especially first-time buyers, make sure you contact Lindsay Broadwell. You can find her at broadwellhomes.com. That's broadwellhomes.com, or call 248-767-7767. That's 
7767. She's a licensed remail, realtor at Remax Nexus. That's broadwellhomes.com. Tell Lindsay ML sent you. We're talking about the past, uh, Burton Leland, Gabe Leland, soon to be part of the past. The past is coming back in Washington. And that is President Trump has announced that he plans to resume his briefings on COVID-19. These were quite the staple of evening news broadcasts for weeks, and then they disappeared. And now they're coming back. And I'm wondering, do we think this is a good thing? This is a bad thing? This is a political thing? This is something Joe Biden should be able to have equal time? Uh, what do you think? Are you guys going to set your set your clocks for those evening briefings with Donald Trump and the rest of the crew? 100%. I'll watch them. It was... Uh interesting watching i'll put it that way but i also think it's a political thing and i think it's a smart political thing say what you want about how you feel about trump or his administration but kellyanne conway is very good at what she does and she said you're losing this coronavirus argument which it seems kind of silly that it's a political argument but you're losing it and the reason you're losing it is because you haven't been out there leading in months i think it's a good thing i don't know what it can hurt, but then again, he's the president and it's up to his whims. If he's out there for two and a half hours, it might start start hurting him again. Sean, are you going to set your VCR? I think uh, VCR beta. I think, um, I don't know if it'll help him or not. I think it's risky, but, but he has no choice, right? I mean, why did he stop him, Mark? He stopped him because they were hurting. Well, no, he stopped him because he didn't like doing them. I don't but, think he, all, but, but he was starting to lose, uh, his numbers were starting to go down, right? Because he, he was saying things that were really hurting him. He was starting to alienate part of the part yeah. of the, um, the, the 65 and over group, right? Some of the seniors who s- maybe swing uh, conservative, and he was starting to lose those. There were other groups he was starting to alienate a little bit because of those long press conferences, especially if he had to think on the top of his uh you know, had to think on quickly. He couldn't do it. I think one of his last briefings was the one where he suggested that maybe bleach would be a good idea. That you exactly. Could take, I mean, yeah. Take bleach. That that exactly. felt like that felt like the uh, jump in the shark moment for the briefings. Matt, did you did you think those things helped him or hurt him? And and do you think that they will going forward? I think it hurt him if he's not using a speechwriter. I think he's, if he follows a script and keeps the facts, the facts. But he won't. I think he'll be fine. Well, he won't. But I, that's what I want him to do because we need a leader right now, um, and we need we need honest to God facts, not assumptions or or what I might do. This shouldn't be political, even though it is. What concerns me about these briefings, and, and I'm reserving judgment till I see them, is. Trump was criticized last week for speaking in the Rose Garden, a public facility, the White House, where Clinton was criticized for using the White House as a fundraising tool. And he was rightly criticized because there's no way you should be raising money for your political campaigns by renting out parts of the White House, by letting people sleep in the Lincoln bedroom in return for a donation. That was absolutely wrong. It was wrong then. It's wrong now. Trump was criticized last week for having a largely political speech from the Rose Garden, again, part of the White House, an official place that should be strictly used for government business. He attacked realize that. Biden mm-hmm. over and over again, which I got no problem with somebody attacking Biden. Listen, mm-hmm. if we're looking for people, perfect people, Biden's only going to be near the top if you're going alphabetically. So I got no problem with somebody kicking old Joe in the head. But you can't do it <laughs> from government facility. And if these briefings turn into 
political speeches, if they're orchestrated by his campaign team rather than his government team, I think there's a problem here. And I think it raises the question as to whether or not they should be shown unedited and whether or not Joe Biden should get equal time. We've talked about that here before. If one side says something, the other side should have an opportunity to respond, which puts us into three hours of Trump and Biden every night. Oh, my God. I'd rather have the virus again. <laughs> I, don't think that would create. I don't think Biden wants equal time right now. Well, where is he, by the way? I mean, that really. That's what I mean. Really His basement. I think that hurts. You got to be seen. You have that to hasn't hurt seen. so far, if you believe the polls. Well, that's because people just don't like the current president. Well, and that's that's the strategy, right? He's trying to make it all about Trump. But back to the but, original point, though, that's why I think it's good for Trump if he's out there and is looking like he's taking this seriously. His numbers will start going up. Especially, it could be. Yeah, it could be. Especially if the other guy's nowhere to be found. Well, I think the other day he just said you should wear a mask. So he's come full circle. He's like a battleship. It takes him a long time to turn. <laughs> but uh, But it seems like he eventually gets headed in the direction he wants to go. But Biden's strategy seems to be twofold, as far as I can tell. One is don't say anything because you're only going to hurt yourself. It's sort of the old, uh, the old uh, it's better to let people think you're an idiot than open your mouth and prove it. And the other strategy is Trump seems to be punching himself out pretty good. Why should you throw a blow when Trump's taking care of himself? So time will tell whether this is a good thing or not. I guess Mark is looking forward to it. Sean and Matt, not so sure. And I'm just going to say, if he sticks to policy, if he sticks to the facts, hearing from our elected leaders is never a bad thing. But if it becomes political, that's a problem. Oh, man, the geeks have inherited the earth. Did I do that? What a dork. Does him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek? Or we're turning into cool guys? There's nothing geeky about Luke Nowacki. The man is a god among men. He's uh, big-hearted. <laughs> he picks up a lot of tabs, which sometimes becomes a problem depending on how many tabs because you got to work the next day, but he never stops working for you. So ask yourself a question. Were your investments prepared for the coronavirus downturn? Well, if you were working with Luke Nowacki, you still wouldn't have been prepared for a worldwide pandemic. Who was? But you would have expected a downturn. He tells his clients that when investing in equities, a good expectation is to lose one-fifth to one-third of your equity value about once every five years. That's normal for market fluctuation, and equity markets have never failed to come back every time. Nobody recommends getting off a roller coaster at the bottom of the first hill. That's a good way to get run over. If that's not something you can handle, then your account should probably incorporate a little less risk. If you have concerns whether your investment accounts are positioned to match your risk tolerance, Call Luke Nowacki at 248-663-4748. That's 248-663-4748. Or email at lnowacki at pinnaclewealthstrategies.com. You can find a link on our website. He'll make it all about you, sweetheart. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Member FINRAS.PC. Royal Alliance Associates Inc. is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates Inc. So I'm not here to debate the Second Amendment, but our Geek of the Week is a couple that believe in the Second Amendment, but I think are not doing the Second Amendment any good service. They are Mark and Patricia McCloskey. You may have seen them standing outside their opulent marble-lined mansion in St. Louis, brandishing weapons as anti-police brutality protesters went by. First of all, 
it's tough to look tough when you're wearing a pink polo shirt and holding an AR-15. Now, I know somebody's going to correct me. It's not an AR-15. It's almost, anyways, it's an AR-15-like okay, yeah. weapon. That's just a, that's a tough look to pull off. Anyways, Mark and Patricia have been charged with unlawful use of a weapon for, they say, defending their home against people who are just walking past their home. Now, I have no problem with the right to bear arms. I think you should be able to defend your home. But to come out and brandish a weapon in front of people who are just walking past your home, you're making a political statement. You are trying to send a message that has nothing to do with your right to bear arms. It has something to do with you being a pain in the ass and being all about you, which is not really the way the world works. Now, they're complaining that they're being singled out, that they're being picked on, and they're criticizing the lefty prosecutor who they say are trying to make an example of them. Well, guess what? Sometimes lefties work to your advantage because what the prosecutor is saying that if they're convicted, the prosecutor is going to offer them a diversion program. Mm -hmm. What could be more lefty than that? So Mark and Patricia, (laughs) I don't think you get the Second Amendment. I don't think you get the law at all. And by the way, you're lawyers. So maybe you can use this time for some quiet reflection. Maybe you can oil your pistol, if you know what I'm saying, because you are our Geeks of the Week. The kids are soft. I don't care for that guy. Me neither. Too no. soft. I'm going to pretend like you need to just make my dick go soft. History can be soft and life can be hard. It can be hard to save money, but I have a friend who can make it easy. That's Ooh. David Hall and Hall Financial. They're working around the clock to help you save money by refinancing. Rates are lower than just about ever. And if you haven't refinanced in the past year, Hall Financial is here to help. Now's the time to lower your monthly payment and keep some extra money in your pocket as we go through some very turbulent times. Refinancing can probably help you save money right away by skipping a couple payments. So why not see if you can save some money by lowering your rate and cutting your term? If you're worried about these guys getting sick, they are sick of working so damn hard for you. No, that's not true. They, they work hard. Dan Morrison is my man at Hall Financial. He's working like a dog and loving virtually every minute of it. You can give him a call at 248-308-5000 and see if they can save you some money. That's 248-308-5000. Hall Financial, lower payments, better options, more personal attention. You can link to them through our website, mlsoulofdetroit.com. It's NMLS 1467435. And now Professor Matt Jennings joins us from a, uh, a bunker of knowledge. He's on the road spreading information in the same way that uh, people who don't wear masks spread the coronavirus, except this won't kill you. You may just wish you were dead. Okay. A man by the name of Charles Hall of Indiana downed an FW-190 German fighter plane while on, escort, while on an escort mission on July 21st, 1943. This day marked the first air victory for the United States by a black airman in the European theater. The group of airmen he belonged to was called... The Red, the red tails. tails. Yeah, Tuskegee. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with the red-tailed hawk, or ML's favorite bird, the peacock. Oh. The effing peacock. It's a certain <laughs> genus yeah. of the phylum of the family. And, of the. Uh, and this week in 1973, Jim Croce started a two-week run at the top of the charts with bad, bad Leroy Brown. Mm-hmm. This wouldn't be his first number one hit, but because of some greedy suits in the record biz, Croce would never be fairly compensated for his work, and he would die nearly 20 days later on his second-to-last stop 
of what he decided would be his final tour. That is one of the saddest stories when it comes to a really, a really amazing songwriter and singer to be taken advantage of by a record company. You're, you're so soft. Die broke you're with so all soft. the fame. I know. I'm the softest thing I've ever. I've heard. been deep diving on him. It makes me sad. Oh my god. Well, I'm That's I'm like, glad the Jim Crow era is over. <laughs> no, Crochet, damn it. Oh. Oh, yeah, that's that's a little Wait, different. wait. What what's the so where's the joke? Come on, man. Oh, that was a joke. I'm not going to make a real joke about Jim Crochet because nobody messes with Jim. <laughs> if so I, wait, okay, so, uh, in 2004, Martha Stewart was sent Wait, 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 man. Is this going to be funny or or is this drama? This I want to know ahead of time. <laughs> it's good, it's going to be the rest is all drama. Okay, okay. This week in 2004, Martha Stewart was Martha Stewart was sentenced to five months in prison and five months of home confinement, in addition to being fined $30,000 oh. and given two years probation for lying about stock, which they say she allegedly sold after it was brought to a boil and reduced to a simmer for 30 minutes. <laughs> okay, so what is our not, history Sean's not impressed. No, that all, all of a sudden, that Jim Croce thing is, tur- is, is looking like the funniest thing so far. And well, he died. He, he, was, he was the second guy to die in this segment. I'm glad he died. There's a, there's a lesson to be learned in this segment. So just, so okay. just listen up. What is the, what is the lesson, guys? To Sooner never do later, this again? Sooner or later, we will all find ourselves in a battle. And maybe it's much akin to the battle of the Tuskegee Airmen fighting two wars. Where Jim Croce who even with all his fame could barely put food on the table because of greedy record execs. And yes, even Martha Stewart, who battled that huge thatch of down there hair after spending five months what? in prison, which would be a whole lot easier if she had the lawnmower 3.0 available at manscaped.com and use promo code ML to check out for 20%. Either way, whatever battle you find yourself in, remember the words of Jim Croce. Oh my God. Dig it, do it. And if you dig it a lot, do it twice. And that's something worth fighting for. <laughs> wow. And, and I think they'll throw in free shipping with that, too, if you throw that. Well, hey, what, what the F just happened? <laughs> no one knows. No one knows. What, 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 am, am I getting punked? This is some kind of Andy Kaufman revival thing you're going on. What if I do the, the same thing on? over and over again, it's going to get old. I'm going to jump around, keep you guys guessing. No, no, no. This is how, my man, Matt, I love you to death, but if you do the same thing over and over again, it's how you get better. So oh. don't don't veer. Keep right. keep uh, keep dribbling. Keep taking jump shots, man. Keep practicing okay, well, your free throws. Okay, well, it's good throws. to know that this piece sucked to Sean. God keep damn it. practicing your free throws. You know what I mean? Keep running your routes. Whatever lame sports metaphor you want to use. <laughs> well, don't it, give up. I feel like you gave up today. I don't want you to keep giving up. Come on, man. Get back, <laughs> get back on it and keep telling those goddamn jokes. It, it all it. depends what you do over and over again because I've heard that some of it can make you blind. <laughs> Terrible. See you again. There's an all-night party in room 7609. So what's a cooler way to describe your band than we were post-punk before punk even happened? 
And that's what Chris Franz calls the talking heads in his new book, Remain in Love. It is a memoir of his time in the talking heads and also in a side project, the Tom Tom Club, in which he dishes plenty of dirt or maybe it's not dirt. Maybe he shares some insights on people like Johnny Ramone, uh, Lou Reed, and others who were really big in the CBGB uh, late 70s scene in New York City. Talking Heads were kind of your classic new wave roots band where they came from the Rhode Island School of Design, kind of artsy-fartsy guys and women who decided they could play instruments and they had something to say. And while you're familiar with some of their big hits, like Once in a Lifetime and uh, Love in Wartime, which I think is probably my favorite, um, I, I tend, the place. I tend mm. to find that when I hear the, the talking heads now on the radio, they were so far ahead of their time, they almost feel dated to me. It almost feels like they have nothing to offer because I'm like, oh yeah, I've heard that a million times. Well, that's kind of a shame that that happens when you're the ones who started it, that now you become kind of tired. But we found a hit that we're going to tell you a little, not really hit, but an early Talking Heads song that comes with a really cool story, and it's called Morningside. Pay attention! 
Well, it's pretty easy to tell that's the talking oh, yeah. heads. You got that sort of uh, <laughs> David Byrne lyric. and um, That's a cool song, man. It's awesome. Yeah. It, it is a cool song, and I only know about it because uh, uh, Franz wrote about it. In his book, he says that Byrne took the sole writing credit for that, which is pretty nervy because half of that song is the rhythm section, which is is him and his wife Tina Weymouth yeah. on uh, bass, and uh, and eventually, you know, th- this got resolved where where Byrne said, "Oh, it was a mistake," and you guys can have some writing credit, but it may come as no surprise that uh, that there's a lot of dishing on David Byrne in this book that he's. He's egotistical. He's antisocial. He's kind of an opportunist. There's a, a little anecdote where when they were participating in an arts exhibition that, um, that Byrne went in the night before and moved all of his stuff to the front of the gallery. Oh. So it looked like it was a David Byrne exhibition with other guys, you know, sort of puppet show and spinal tap. And, um, wow. And he says, you know, I think David Byrne's somewhere on the spectrum. Oh, shit, that's David Byrne right now. <laughs> so at, at some point, David Byrne started trying to veer off on his own. Um, Brian Eno, who had been a, a big new wave producer, was involved with David Bowie and some other people, mm-hmm. wanted to become one of the talking heads, but they kind of said, nah, why don't you just you know, stay in your lane? Anyways, at one point when Byrne was doing his own thing, uh, Chris and Tina started the Tom Tom Club, which was very successful. And after they sold a million records, Byrne dismissed them as, well, that's merely commercial music. <laughs> David Byrne hated Tina Weymouth. And in fact, at one yeah. point, they really? kind of dragged her into the band because they couldn't find anybody they wanted to work with in New York. And yep. so she kind of learned to play bass. And there was one point early on in their career where David Byrne had, uh, had three auditions for her to stay in the band, which is pretty nervy, especially when her boyfriend's a drummer. Um, And then at one point um, when they went out on tour, he hired a second bass player to go out on tour, which is really kind of a big (laughs) F you. So uh, like Billy Joel or something. Before we bounce, I got to check in with Sean. I I was reading your, your piece on college football. Um, Is it going to happen? It sounds oh. like you're telling us not to count on it, but what do you really think? If you had to bet. If I had to bet, I would bet that, that they don't finish, that they don't have a full season. And I would bet that um, they probably don't have a season at all in the fall and that they will do their best to try to have one in the spring. So do you think How they'll ludicrous. start and then pull they the could. They, they could. I mean, you know, I, a couple of those conferences, the SEC in particular down south, you know, the Southeast Conference, are going to do everything they can to try to start, right? It's just, it's, uh, the, the money issues are a little bit different down there. The, uh, the, the cultural sense, what it, what it means to people. How are, so, how are the money issues different, uh, down there? Those schools, uh, well, at least from the big 10 and I'm thinking specifically with Michigan. Sure. Um, the, 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 uh, the endowments aren't the same. Oh, okay. And for the school overall, not the athletic. Yeah, exactly. I gotcha. Okay. And I That's just think in a lot of those schools, like Alabama's enrollment's gone crazy in part mm-hmm. because football. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I think that happens even here at Michigan. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, well, Michigan State to a lesser degree, but in uh, Michigan, people push back on me. And I've, I've read this and argued this before. 
then they're talking about the, the thousands of kids they turn down every year, right? So yeah. they don't need football, but that's not true. Bull. A lot of the kids from the East Coast Dude, it, come here because they want to similarly, you know, a, a school that's it's not quite an Ivy League school, but it's a really good academic place, but they have football, right? So yeah. or they want to get away from mom and dad. But, uh, Anybody that disagrees with you that should just look at Don Gannam back in the day in his comment about how Football is the front porch of the university. It's Absolutely. Absolutely. Very, very now, important. Thousands more here Michigan this, applicants here. have been turned down for dates. This guy, I knew I knew there was a snarky comment. Yeah, you knew you knew that you knew there was something. Yeah, but the, the endowments are, are a little bit I mean, they're getting better down south, but uh for some of the schools in the Big Ten, it's just it's a it's a little bit different. Do you see And a, that's the only way that Michigan is well endowed. Mm-hmm. Financially. Good, good one. Mm-hmm. Um do you do you see a scenario, Sean, where, uh, say, the SEC plays and fights through it and, you know, be damned who gets sick and maybe the Big Ten does and doesn't and one conference does and one conference doesn't? I mean, that's possible, but, boy, that would be – that would take a lot of guts and um, I don't want to say selfishness, but that that would not be a good luck if they're the only ones doing it. I, th- I think they'd have to have a the Big 12, maybe the ACC. It's a little trickier in the ACC, but um, – it's going to be interesting to see. I think the Pac-10 would be a little bit more in line with the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Pac-10 being out west and UCLA and Washington, USC, those schools, Arizona. But, um, but we'll now, see. Anyways, folks, we appreciate you sticking with us uh, as usual. We'll be back next week. Hopefully we'll have somebody exciting or something exciting to talk about. This is the home of long stories well told. Hopefully that's <laughs> we lived up to that today. We appreciate your feedback. Let us know. If we're not if we're not hitting our mark, you can tell us at mlsoulofdetroit at gmail.com. Uh, you can give us a call at 313-288-9070. That's Butterfield 890-70. We've got some feedback. We're going to have to wait till next week because we've been running long. We have some donors to thank. I'm going to thank them next week because we're running a little bit long and uh, you can donate by hitting the PayPal button at uh, mlsoulofdetroit.com. You can buy our great merchandise at drewandmikestore.com. We're having a sale on hockey jerseys. Get a hockey jersey at a discount, 20% off. You get a free book. Please rate us, subscribe, share us, and support the other shows on the Red Shovel Network. That's uh, Charlie Duff's No BS News Hour. That's the Drew and Mike podcast. That's the big show. And, of course, No Filter Sports with Eli, Denny, and Bob. And if you're out there looking to get some cars or to get some work done on your car, check out uh, dealsinthed.com. That's the Zot uh, Car Dealerships. They've been a good friend of the show. We hope you can appreciate and support them. And if you want to do some socially distanced uh, pedal pubbing in Detroit, getting on a bike, seeing the city in a safe way, go to michiganpedler.com. That's Michigan, P-E-D-A-L-E-R. Dot com. They're friends of the show, too, and we hope that uh, you will find their services as suitable as we have. And now it's time for our good friend of the show, Cyrus, to get us the hell out of here. Can you dig that? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Next week, the soul of Detroit moves to its new day and time. Be there Wednesdays at noon. I think it's going to be crazy. I think it's going to be vicious. The ultimate competition has only just begun. The women won the first task, but can they stay together? You threatened me. Stay out of my face. It's over. While the men are desperate for a victory. I gave you one small job and you fell asleep doing it. 
This Wednesday, the task is tougher. And you're going to be working on corporate jets. And the reward is bigger. But when all is said and done, the real shocker is who will hear these final words. This is a tough one. You're fired.